Read chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will will, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. But he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Lord, as we read your word again this, this day, we read how you touch people's lives and how, how you have plans and purposes that are way beyond our comprehension. And as we gather at the beginning of this new year, we, we pray that you would give us the faith to believe what we don't see and that you would work in our hearts a, a trust in you that will enable us to give you our lives with freedom and allow you to lead us day by day into the fullness of what you have for us. So we ask you to speak to us this morning and encourage us with your word and give us the the humility and the faith to respond to it. In Jesus' name. Amen. There should be a black church in the south. Amen. 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 A little bit more fire, brothers. Imagine, let start with this because I was going to have a big easel and a big canvas, big canvas here and talk about this is the new year and imagine God says to us, there's the canvas of the year, fill your boots, do it, paint whatever you like, I'll come back in a year and see how you've done. And then he says, by the way, before, before I go, 
Here's Rembrandt. And he'll help you. And he comes back at the end of the year. And I guess at the end of the year, what he would be expecting to see is how much impact did Rembrandt have on what I did. And as I was thinking about this, it seemed the Lord was also saying, you know the problem is that I give you a clean canvas. I give you a clean canvas actually many days, every day. And when, you, when I give you the clean canvas and, 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 and I'm Rembrandt, you keep turning around and say, I need this in the picture. I need enough money. I need this relationship. I'm worried about them. By the time you finish telling me what has to be in the picture, the canvas is already full. And so there's not much room for me to move. And what God has done when Jesus, Jesus is really Rembrandt. He says there are two ways to live. There's a way of living where you do all the painting and you define the picture and you actually tell me what you want and all I am is this guy in the sky like a genie that you rub the lamp and you say, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. Please God, please God, please God. Or you do what Jesus showed and that is what would it be like to be in the picture and not the artist doing the picture? What would it be like to understand my life as being one, a component of God's whole purpose in the world? And so I approach him like a, a tube of oil, if you will. Squeeze me, Lord, and use me. And instead of my directing the artist, I actually just say, here I am, a paintbrush, you do the art through me. That's what being a Christian is about. Being a Christian is not saying I believe in God. Being a Christian is about allowing God to work in us and through us. And saying, Lord, what is your canvas? What is your purpose? What is your plan? And this morning, what I want to talk about, spend some time thinking about, is a phrase that I came across with Eugene Peterson, who used it from a philosopher, Nietzsche, uh, years ago, and it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I love that phrase. It's a long obedience in the same direction. In a culture where, you know, what's next on TV, what's happening tomorrow, instant gratification, we have about the attention span and the endurance of a flea sometimes. And we get ourselves terribly worked up about life because we are so needing to be in control or we're so needing to understand. And I believe God is continually trying to encourage us to say, will you relax? Will you relax with trying to be God? Will you relax with trying to be in control? Will you relax and understand who you are? You are a part of my creation. You are not it. You are part of the picture. A loving part of the picture and a very precious part of the picture. But there's only room for one God. See, life is full of, let's face it, ordinariness, mundaneness. And I wanted to just remind us by looking at the circumstances around the birth of Jesus. It was a very ordinary environment, a very ordinary context into which God breathed his life and purpose and suddenly changed everything. I remember on Christmas morning saying, uh, you know, God's, uh, Jesus' name is, is, is like Frank. In the, in, in the time of Israel, in the time of his birth. It was like, you know, I, I will call my, my son Fred. Or Bill, or, or, or John, or, or Dave, or even Brad. Um, it was a very common name. 
what God did with that person with that name that transformed that name. And when Jesus was born, he was surrounded by people who were just doing mundane things, but believed God was still God. And so we look at the picture of in Luke chapter 1 of Zechariah. I mean, I'm thinking of other people like Joseph and Mary are the common you know, people that we, we know about. And also Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon and Anna, who were, were four older people who basically surrounded Mary and Joseph and gave them encouragement. I want to just talk very briefly about how they impacted Mary and Joseph and, and were there used by God. And then I want to, us to, to, to see a clip of, some, of how this works out today in somebody's life in quite a dramatic fashion. Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, lived in the country. Zechariah was a priest. He was a priest that was inherited through the families. Uh, he was a priest all his life. And his wife was barren, which means they don't have children. And at that time in that culture, if you didn't have a child, if you were barren, it was grounds for divorce. That's why Elizabeth at the end said, God has taken away my disgrace. She was a woman who was probably pushing 70 or 80 and she was way beyond her years. There were so many priests in Israel that it was possible to be a priest and never be called up to, to go to the temple. So the chances are that you might or might not be do, doing duty in the temple as Zechariah was on this day. They drew it by lot. And that tells me that there's a man who's doing his duty, he's being faithful year after year after year. He's already disappointed because he hasn't got the child he longed for. And he still comes to worship God and he still says, God, you are God. And I am Zechariah. And I cry to you every day for a child, but I still worship you if it's not there. That moves me. A long obedience in the same direction. Not because what I can get out of it, but because I trust that God is greater. And I don't understand why I don't have a child, but I know that God loves and God is gracious. So I keep going and Elizabeth keeps going. And he goes and his name is drawn and he goes to the temple and he does his duty. And he has no idea what is about to happen. And I wanted to say to you and to me, as, he, as I just mentioned Zechariah, we have no idea what still might happen in our lives if we give God a chance. I mean, this church in some ways is a testimony to God's miracle. I had no idea, I've said this every week, that I would be back here. And I think there are many things we have no idea about. And if we only relax with our lives and start saying, Lord, I don't know. All I can do is be obedient here now. And then see where it goes. We have no idea what might be. A long obedience in the same direction. The same direction, just walking with Jesus day by day. Rejoicing in the fact that he's, he's taken hold of our lives and gives us meaning and purpose. And I start at that place and I live from that place. Before... Zechariah went into the temple and the angel spoke to him, angel Gabriel, and said, uh, you will have a son, you will have a child, you will have a son, you will call him John. And he says, do not be afraid, as we've always said, every time God does anything in anybody's life in the Old Testament, everybody's terrified. And it's a sad sign today where because Jesus has changed that, we still are so terrified of God. We don't need to be, not in the, a wrong way, because God's love has been made so profound and clear in Jesus. 
But he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. And he will be a joy and delight to you. And I think John was a joy and delight to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I think God in his mercy, probably, I believe they died before John was beheaded. Because remember, John grew up and he had pronounced the way before Jesus and said, Behold, here comes the, the Lamb of God. He, he spoke a word that was very powerful in Israel at the time and he got people's attention. And then the Herod's daughter was asked, what would you like as a sort of party trick? And she said, I'd like John the Baptist's head on the plate. And because men could lose face, his father said, okay. And this child who would be a delight, who was a gift of God, was killed. And I think it's because his time had come, but also because God, from God's perspective, in God's picture, death is not the end. He set John free. So John said, you know, I would go, well you've given me this child, now it must never die. Nothing ever bad must happen because it's a gift. But God was working in a big picture. And so he was saying, this child is going to be used powerfully and he will be a joy and delight. And I think in mercy he took the parents out before the, the, the son died. But the son was going to die prematurely. Before that angel Gabriel spoke in the temple, nothing had been heard for 450 years in Israel from God. Probably for all kinds of reasons that we, we don't have time to go into. But Zechariah finds himself, this rural priest, in the temple and he's the guy that God speaks to and says, your wife and your son, you and your wife, even in this place where there is no hope for you naturally, I'm going to do something supernaturally. And I wonder as we come before God whether we have that kind of expectancy. Whether we have that kind of expectancy to say there's nothing normal, there's nothing natural in my life, but I'm asking you, Lord, to breathe supernatural stuff into it, extraordinary things into the mundane. That's what Jesus did all the time. Jesus spent all his time in a very mundane circumstance. I've walked the hills of Galilee. It is very ordinary. It's beautiful, but it's very ordinary. And he met people and he touched their lives and he brought dramatic change because they saw the love and power of God in him. That's pretty cool. Remember that Joseph and Mary also had visitations from Gabriel. Gabriel, uh, Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this news that you're bringing? Because we're both old. Don't argue with angels. Don't argue with God. Because then he goes, okay, be quiet for nine months. I think the windows that God gives us are fleeting. And says, "You, you move with me or you lose with me. I think we look for things, we want God to work, we want God to bring healing, well then just pray. If somebody's sick, pray for them. Catch the moment and see what happens. But we'll talk about that in the, in the weeks ahead. Mary and Joseph were nondescript, ordinary peasants, teenagers. And God appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a child and you're not, going to be, you're not married and the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and... Um, the power of God will birth a child in you. And she says, as you say, so let it be. Joseph 
wrestles with it and the angel comes to him and says, this isn't just a, a con trick. Uh, this is me working. And yes, Mary is pregnant and there hasn't been anyone else with her and you look after her. Very ordinary circumstances. Then they spend the rest of their time growing up in Nazareth. Joseph probably dies quite young because we don't hear much from him. And Jesus grows, in, in a, grows up in a very ordinary home for, for many, many years in Nazareth before he starts his public ministry. The big picture takes time to unfold. The big picture isn't looking at every detail every day and saying, Lord, what are you doing today? It's saying, Lord, thank you that you are God today. Thank you that you love me today. Thank you that you can speak to me today. I expect to hear from you, but I'm just going to be open and resting in that awareness. It's so much more a place of peace. I spoke to somebody this week and, uh, who's, who's, who's having struggles. And whenever I do this, then everybody present thinks it's about them. But it's nobody present. Um, and they're having struggles. And, they, and I said, do you have any peace? And they said, no, I haven't got peace. I said very, very clearly, I haven't got peace. I don't know what peace is. And God says, well, I give you a peace beyond understanding. That won't make any sense. You will feel peaceful in the midst of chaos. Why? Because... You will trust me. You will trust me to be faithful to you even when nothing around you looks like it's going to work. That's the kind of God we need and the kind of God Jesus came to to reveal to us. And Jesus was born, I'm not going to go through this in detail, Jesus was born and he went, his parents took him to the temple. It's interesting that his parents took him to the temple and went through all the religious ritual, the Jewish ritual of the day. And that kind of speaks to me about being careful about throwing out all ritual and all tradition because God seems to have a place for that somewhere. And he went in and they went in and, and, and Jesus was circumcised. And when he was there, I'm reading now quickly from Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I mean, this is remarkable. It's a prophetic word. Moved by the Spirit, he's, he's listening to God. He's, he's adopted that um, practice, that lifestyle, where he follows the prompting of God's voice in his spirit. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. An old man takes this baby in his arms and he speaks and sings a prophetic word over this child. How cool do you think that is for the parents? They're still going, are we nuts? Where God just very gently keeps affirming, no, you're not nuts. No, this is me. And this old man who's listened to God himself, and that's why all of us who are over 50, let's say that diplomatically, uh, there's a huge area of need from older people to speak wisdom into younger people. The trouble is many older people think God can't use them anymore. Well, there's lots of wisdom and it's not just human wisdom. It's about saying, Lord, give me voice, words to speak to people. You'd be amazed what will happen. God wants to do that here far more than is happening so far. And, and Simeon sings, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory, and for glory to your people Israel. He's singing the big picture. He's singing the big picture. It's way beyond belief. This baby, the saviour of the world, what is that? Well, he's singing prophetically and saying, 
there's more happening there than meets the eye, which is typical of God. God usually works in the ordinary and transforms it into the extraordinary. If you keep looking for the extraordinary, you'll never find it. You'll just get hype and emotion. If you really get close to Jesus and you obey him, you'll start seeing the extraordinary seeping through and miracles will happen because he does that kind of stuff. And Simeon blessed those parents. And then right next, to, next door there was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She had been married seven years. And she spent her time in the temple praying and worshipping and that was her calling. No bitterness, no God, it's not fair, it's just, Lord, that's my life. And she worshipped him in the context of her own barrenness or brokenness. And I don't think stayed broken, but embraced her situation. And in the big picture, God honoured that. And how cool for her. She comes in, she sees this baby, and she speaks to the parents and speaks prophetically over them, encouraging them and saying, I don't know what she says, it's never been recorded, but she speaks words of affirmation to them when they needed to hear it. As all of us do. We all need to hear words of affirmation. We all need to hear, you know, God wants to do things in you. You have gifts. You have things that you can do if you only give Him a chance. We would be amazed if God was able to walk among us today and take each one of our lives and bring us up to the front and speak over us and say, I want you to see Megan here. These are her gifts and this is what I have in store for her this year. We would all be in tears. We would all be totally blown over. And we would all say like Mary, how can this be? And he says, well, it can only be if you let me work in you and through you. So it might be, it might not be. It all depends on the relationship we have. And so the question we're pondering this morning is, will we give God room and permission to use us this year in ways we've never been used before? Because that's when Christianity gets exciting. Coming to church isn't exciting. Being a community that's living and growing is exciting. Seeing God working in people's lives is exciting. Just doing this stuff is boring as hell. It is hell. But sometimes we choose hell because it means we can still paint the picture and pretend to be religious. It's called hypocrisy. We want the best of both worlds, so we cover our bases. It's actually not satisfying to anybody and it's not really attractive to watch either. And I think the world's sick of watching that kind of stuff. So I pray that God will you know, encourage us to go a little bit further. All these people were living in mundane obedience and accepting the disappointments of life, but seeing themselves in the context of a bigger picture where God is in charge. It's God's world. I want to have us look at a, a DVD now. Um, you've heard of the story maybe somewhat, but I think it, it demonstrates more powerfully than I can speak about a God who is faithful and a God who works miracles in absolutely um, terrible circumstances. This is the story of a father and a, a daughter. The daughter was Rachel Scott, who was the first girl killed in Columbine, in the tragedy of Columbine. And the story of her life and what her life... Maybe I'll just let the story unfold. The video clip we watched together uh, during the service was about Rachel Scott, uh, a story by her father about how she, the first girl who was killed in the Columbine shooting, 
uh, was so committed to Jesus and open to his spirit that she knew that he would she wouldn't actually live to be very old and it's a remarkable story if you want more information which we can't translate in this medium you can go on the web to www.rachelschallenge.com and listen to her father speak about her and also see the impact of her life and death just a, an example in the modern day of of how a life no matter how short can be used by God in, in astounding ways it's quite a powerful story isn't it I think it's a good story for us as we start this year to go how, how are we going to approach our lives how are we going to approach this church are we going to be those who say Lord here I am I want my life to count I want my life I'm going to operate and live from the place of you have taken my hold of my life for a purpose and I want you to use it if I die right now, there will be something of a legacy because of the relationships I have, or because of the way I've lived. Not because I'm perfect, but because you have lived in me. I think uh, it's an exciting challenge. They have a challenge across North America and other parts of the world now called Rachel's Challenge, which is about making schools a more friendly environment and caring for people. And God looks at each one of us and He says, if you think I can't use you like I used her, of course I can. And she had only followed him for five years. It's not an exception, it's the norm. So we don't need to just get emotionally moved by her. The purpose of that is that we might be emotionally moved to come close to Jesus and say, Me too. I want to be part of that. I want to be somebody who brings meaning and life into the world. A world where people by and large haven't got a clue where they're going, how they're getting there or what they're doing. Life is about existing from day to day, keeping a job, hoping I retire so I can be happy. And it's a lot of nonsense, isn't it? And so the invitation God gives us is to let Him fulfill our lives, just like Zechariah and Jesus and Joseph and Mary and all these people take a long walk in obedience and see what happens out of a relationship of love with the living God. Rachel said to one of her friends, her cousin actually, I find this amazing for um, a child of her age. She says, Sarah, don't let your character change color with your environment. Find who you are and let it stay in its true colors. Which is really saying, stop living, reacting to everything around you and everybody around you. Find out who God has called you to be and then be true to that. Then you'll be free. Then you'll know peace, even if your life ends tomorrow. That's the power of God. The power of God to use a life in the midst of tragedy. The invitation of God today is for us to find life in Him. And I say that, you know, because I know I'm speaking to the converted. But I think many of us, you know, like me, we have to continually be converted. Converted back, reconverted, not in what I believe, but in my heart being open to allowing Him to actually use me. It's like a marriage that goes sour and you just sit there. And it's dead. And you just want to get out of it. It can be like that with God too. And you start to ask Him to reignite something. 
and use you. So the way to do that is to begin to say, I'm, I, I'm operating from the place of you're saying yes to me. I'm operating from the place that you have a purpose for me. I'm operating from the place that you like me, that you love me, that you actually enjoy me, and that you've got good things for me to do and be and become. And I can do that with you and with others. I want to just finish with that reading from Romans. Which is what Paul said as well. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only thing that can separate us from the love and power of God is us. He will not cross our will. So because part of the motto of this church, and certainly my passion is I'm sick of speaking theory, it would be inappropriate to end this with just amen. It would be highly appropriate to end this with saying so, if you want to get in on the action. Let's stand up and ask him. You can sit if you like. I'm going to stand. And I'm not, I'm not pressuring you. And what I mean by that is just standing and saying, Lord, here I am. I want you to be, I want you to use my life. I want you to use my life uh, and help me get into what it is that you want to, to do in me. He loves us more than we love him. And it starts with giving him permission. So, Father, as we just come before you, we are moved by the, the power of a testimony of a young girl. And yes, that's emotional, but we're not standing here because we want to be emotional. We want our lives to be filled with your presence, with your, pre your power, with your hope, with your truth. We thank you, Jesus, that you have gone to the cross so that the barrier between us, all the things we have done that have been disappointing or rebellious, uh, can be uh, forgiven. And right now, if there's anything that bugs you, I mean, if Jesus stood right in front of you right now and said, hey, how are you doing? What would spring up? If whatever springs up that convicts you, just give it to him and say, I, I ask you to forgive me because he really doesn't condemn us of anything. So we just ask you, Jesus, uh, right now to, to cleanse us. We come to your cross and the things that get in the way, maybe it's our pride, maybe it's our will, maybe it's our unbelief, maybe it's our laziness, maybe it's our selfishness, maybe it's our stubbornness. It could be many, many things. Maybe we're afraid of what somebody else will think. We just bring it to you and ask you to forgive us. I pray you release forgiveness in this place. That nothing will separate us from your love right now. And as soon as we give you our hearts, you, you just welcome us. So thank you that you forgive. Thank the Lord that he's forgiven you of anything that you've just given him now. Say thank you in your heart that he's forgiven you. Receive his forgiveness. It's got nothing to do with your emotions. It's got to do with his promise. And all we're doing is having a shower. We're doing a checklist. We're just covering the bases. Because the more open we are to Him, the more we honest with Him, the more He is able to do in us. 
It's not about us being perfect. It's not about us being ready. It's just about us being open. He knows, I mean, goodness me, He knows that He needs to work in us to make us into what He calls us to be. So He's just looking for open hands and open hearts. And in our weakness and in all the stuff that isn't right in our lives or all the fears of the future and what will happen if I trust You, Lord, Lord, we just pray You release Your Holy Spirit into those places right now that You will release into each of us Your presence, Your power, Your life, Your love that enables us to know that our lives have meaning and purpose, that we are part of a bigger picture. There are meanings to things that are going on in our lives right now that we have no understanding of. And we pray, Father, that we will just rest in that, that You have an understanding. And that we will rest in the expectancy of good things coming out of our lives because You are a living God. You are very creative. You are very powerful. You are good at taking weak, broken things and making them new. And You have said to us, how much more are You willing to give those who ask? More than we can ask or imagine. So receive the love of the Lord. Receive the presence of the Lord. Receive the power of the Lord. Forget about emotions. It's a promise. And so that's what we stand in right now. And then look forward to this new year. And all those obstacles... Just release them to Him and and, and change those words. They're not obstacles, they're challenges. They're part of life. But God says, I will be with you in the midst of that and I will lead you through it as you keep company with me. And if you think what I did through that girl, Rachel Scott, is amazing, you have no idea what I could do through you. But she also had to start at a very young age without knowing a lot, saying, Jesus, here I am. So all he asks us to do is to be the paintbrush in the hand of Rembrandt. How hard is that? So Jesus, we bless you and we thank you for your love that pursues us Your love that continues to want to lead us deeper and further in the things that are of you. Thank you that you look upon each of our lives and you see treasure that hasn't been found yet. You see dreams that haven't been fulfilled yet. You see purposes that haven't been defined yet. And thank you that you want to release that and you will. So we we, we bless you for what you are doing and what you will do. We look forward to that, Jesus. Thank you that you're just not theoretical, but that you're real practical. And so we pray for one another today, that in this week we will have evidence of your presence in us in in new ways. Maybe we'll have a peace that we don't understand. Maybe we have a hope that we don't understand, or a joy, or or a new understanding of something. That we read the Bible, it comes alive to us. When we come across a friend who, who we just wonder why we're meeting all of a sudden, and we just know it's you. I just pray that, Lord, for every single person here, there will be an experience, an encounter with you this week that will be encouraging.
And so as we come and we break bread together and we share in communion, come with an expectancy, come with those open hands and just say, Lord, here I am. And uh, enjoy his response as he enjoys so much our response to his word. Amen.